Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Esther, the fourth chapter, verses 13 through 16. And Mordecai told them to answer Esther, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish, yet who knows whether you have come to this kingdom for such at this time. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Good morning to all of you, especially those that are visiting with us. We're really glad that you're here. Happy Mother's Day. I know we've got a number of mothers being honored in our midst and we're very thankful for you. We're thankful to God for godly mothers who wanna bring up their families and raise their children in a way that pleases God. We're thankful for godly mothers. If you have your Bible, open it to Esther, the book of Esther. And we're going to be in chapter one at a, a, a soon point in our lesson. So Esther chapter one, if you would. It's amazing to think about the heroes that God points out in the Bible. Many people today accuse the Bible of being backward and not progressive and, and keeping people down in, in, in various places in life. But when you look at the Bible and the way that God brings out people of faith, it's not just heroes, mighty men of valor like David and, and, and Jonathan and Joshua. The Bible, the Bible lifts up heroes of faith like Ruth, a Moabitess, and Esther, a Jewish orphan in a foreign land. And the Bible exalts these people and shows them and holds them up and says, these are people worthy of your thought and consideration. These are people worthy of your imitation in many cases. And I want to talk about Esther in our study this morning, a woman who made a difference. A lot of time when you look around at the world and what's going on in the world around us, we look at evil and we look at things that happen and we say, can I make a difference? Can anybody make a difference? We, we pray about our nation, we pray for our government, and we pray for things that we see taking place. And, and it's discouraging sometimes because you keep seeing decisions being made over and over and over that you know are contrary to God's will and you know that don't please Him. And as a, an individual Christian trying to live your life, you might go to one of a couple of extremes. You might say, well, I'm not gonna have anything to do with any of that. I'm not going to pray for my leaders, which by the way, God commands us to do so, 1 Timothy 2 verses one through four. Or you might say, on the other hand, I want to get so involved and so invested in politics and in political movements that I want to make a difference. And so I'm going to rally the troops and get people to vote the way that I think they ought to vote. What about, what about if there's a third way? What about if we looked with the eyes of faith at people in the Bible like Esther somebody that you wouldn't necessarily think would make a difference, somebody that you wouldn't necessarily think would change anything, but she has a chance to save her entire nation. In the passage that Sean just read a moment ago in Esther chapter four, verse 14, the question is asked, who knows, Esther, whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? 
Who knows whether you have arrived at this moment, at this point, at this opportunity, just so that you, by faith, can save the people of God. And that's exactly what Esther does. Brothers and sisters and friends, it is an adventure to live by faith. To put your trust and to put your life in the hands of an almighty and an all-loving God and to say, God, whatever you want, whatever you will with my life, that's what I want too. That's what I want to do and that's what I want to be all about. That's exactly what Esther did. And what Esther was trusting was not just God, but God's providence. That's the word we use to describe God working behind the scenes, not in a miraculous way, but still at work, still working behind the scenes to provide for a person or a group because he cares. Providence. Esther is an interesting book. If you're not familiar with the Old Testament book of Esther, it would be a really blessed thing for you to read Esther. Because one of the fascinating characteristics of Esther is that it does not mention the name of God. Can you imagine a Bible book that does not mention God outright? And it's been said of Esther that even though God is never mentioned, God's hand in all of the affairs of the kingdom of Persia in which Esther takes a part, God's hand is never invisible. The things that happened to Mordecai and to Esther and indeed to the Hebrew people, those things did not happen by accident. That's the point Esther's making. It's a strange, but it's a really powerful way to make a point. God works in our lives. He cares for us. He provides for us even when we can't see directly what he's doing in a given situation. And it's encouraging and it's exciting and it's a little scary to stop and think that I can live and put my trust and my faith in a God like that. Esther believes, God provides. When we think about providence, there are two kinds of providence that you'll read about in scripture. These are just terms that have been given to providence by man, but, but think about these. There is what's sometimes called general providence. General providence, God provides for and God cares for all mankind. Whether you believe in him or not, whether you trust him or not, God provides for everybody. Acts 14, 17, the apostle said, he fills our hearts with food and gladness. Again, in Acts 17, verse 25, the apostle preached that God is the one who gives to all life, breath, and all things. And in Matthew 5, and 45, he's the one that causes the rain to fall and the sun to shine on both the just and the unjust. God blesses because he cares for all people. That's general providence. God provides air to breathe and sunshine and rain for everybody. But there is also in the Bible a special providence, a way in which God cares specifically for his covenant people, the people that belong to him. Romans 8:28 is a passage that teaches this principle. It says in Romans 8 verse 28 that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And the idea there is we know that God's working in our lives as Christians. We realize that God cares for us. We believe with a certainty that God is, is providing and, and causing all things to work together for good, which by the way means that we're becoming more like Jesus. 
And we believe that because of our relationship to him. So in a special way, God provides for and always has the people who are in a covenant relationship with him, New Testament Christians. It's an exciting thing to think about one person by God's care and by God's providence being able to make a difference. The question I begin with is this, can just one person make a difference? The answer that the book of Esther teaches is, with God's help, yes. If we will put our faith and our trust in the God of heaven, if we will provide a trust in his providence and turn our lives over to him, God can use our lives in ways that we never imagined if we'll let him, if we'll be faithful to him, if we'll trust him like Esther did. With our lesson this morning, what I want us to do is two things. I want us to look at the times in which Esther lived and just use her as a case study. Can one person really make a difference? With God's help, yes. Let's think about the times in which Esther lived and then we're gonna talk about her faith and we're gonna talk about what she did specifically that is worthy of our imitation. But before we go any further, let's just spend a moment in Esther chapter one looking at the times in which she lived. Maybe you're not familiar with the story of Esther. Let me just read for a moment, beginning in Esther chapter one, verse one. Esther chapter one, verse one. I'm gonna read about six verses here and kind of set the stage. We are in a kingdom called Persia in ancient times. This was before the time of Christ. And the Persians had overrun Israel and they had uh, the, the, the kingdom before them had captured the Israelites and they were still many of them slaves in Persia. And Esther and her cousin Mordecai, they were among the Jewish slaves in Persia. With that backdrop, let's read in Esther chapter one, verse one, and listen to what happens in her time. Esther one, verse one. Now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus, that's the king of Persia. This was the Ahasuerus who reigned over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. In those days when King Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan the citadel, that in the third year of his reign, he made a feast for all his officials and servants, the powers of Persia and Media, the nobles, the princes, the provinces being before him. Verse four, when he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the splendor of his excellent majesty for many days, 180 days in all. So he's having a six month party to show how great he is, this king is. And then in verse five, it says, when these days were completed, the king made a feast lasting seven days for all the people who were present in Shushan the citadel, from the great to the small, in the court of the garden of the king's palace. There were white and blue linen curtains fastened with cords of fine linen and purple on silver rods and marble pillars. And the, the couches were of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of alabaster, turquoise, and white and black marble. They served drinks, it says in verse seven, in golden vessels, each vessel being different from the other, the royal wine in abundance according to the generosity of the king. As you set the stage, the king is having a massive celebration, a massive festival. And the idea that he has is that he wants everybody to look at him and say, look how glorious, look how mighty I am. And as the passage continues, everybody gets drunk and then the king comes up with this idea. Look at verse 11. 
in verse 11, everybody gets drunk and they come up with the idea, let's bring in the queen, Queen Vashti before the king, wearing her royal crown in order to show her beauty to the people and the officials, for she was beautiful to behold. And it says in Esther 1 verse 12, that Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command brought by the eunuchs. Therefore, the king was furious and his anger burned within him. You've got a wicked king, you've got an immoral proud king and he wants to bring in his queen to show her off to all the nobles and all the people of the world so that they'll see how great he is and how great his queen is. These are the times, this is the backdrop in which the book of Esther takes place. Just notice a few of the particulars of all this. In the first place, she lives in a time of pride and arrogance. A time when people are full of themselves. A time when people, when they look in the mirror, they take a bow. Look at how great I am. Look at the great things I'm doing. It's all about me, 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 I, I, I. Those are the times in which Esther lives. Not only that, but she lives in a time in which people, rulers specifically, make drunken decisions. The Bible describes the king's heart as being merry with wine. You think about what happens in the Bible when kings get drunk. Nothing good ever happens. When the kings have been drinking, this king loses his sense of faculties, loses his sense of morality, and he thinks the right thing to do is to bring his queen in and to display her in front of everybody. You think about King Belteshazzar in Daniel chapter five as he's eating and drinking from the temple vessels and that hand appears and begins to write on the wall, behold, your kingdom is weighed and found wanting. This night your kingdom is going to be destroyed. You think about Herod when Drusilla, when, when uh, Herod's, Herod's wife, her daughter danced for him and he's having a big party and he promises her rashly, foolishly, whatever you want up to half my kingdom and she asks for the head of John the baptizer. You think about what happens when people are inebriated in scripture, nothing good happens. And don't think that the same principles are not at play even today. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and those who are deceived by it are not wise. Proverbs 20 verse 1. Don't think that you can play around with these things and that it's going to not affect you, that somehow you're going to escape and you're not going to make foolish decisions. This is not right. It is sin before God. Esther lived in those kinds of times. But not only that, she lives in a time of immodesty and debauchery. When they wanted to bring Queen Vashti in, what he was wanting, the king and all the nobles, they were wanting king, Queen Vashti to come in and to show off her physical beauty. And by that, I mean unclothed. They wanted her to stand and to show her her beauty before everybody. This was immodest. This was wrong. It was a, it was a degrading thing to ask the queen to do. And that's why Vashti refused. I began this morning by talking about how the Bible exalts not just men, but women. The Bible lifts up women. You know, some people say the Bible tries to repress certain people. It tries to repress women, for example. Quite the opposite. In a day when people treated women like objects, God's word says women have dignity, Women are made in the image of God and modesty is given by God to protect the image, protect the, the dignity and the humanness of women. Modesty is something that God wants us to embrace so that there will be dignity in our lives. 
And so as we think about what's happening in Esther's day, we cannot but help look at our own day and say, where is the dignity with which people ought to conduct themselves? Voluntarily sometimes people show parts of their bodies that are not appropriate to be shown in public places. We need to stop and think about what we're doing as the people of God. She lived in a day of immodesty and debauchery. Whatever glorifies God dignifies man. Whatever does not glorify God takes away man's dignity. It has always been this way. We think about the times in which Esther lived. She lives in a time when marriage is not respected. What the king did when Vashti refused to come and refused to parade herself before the king and his friends, all the nobles started to kind of talk to one another, the counselors of the king, and what are we going to do about this in Esther chapter 1, verses 17 through 22? And what they decided was this, and their, their reasoning is interesting. They said, well, if the king doesn't deal with the queen, if, she, if he doesn't do something to punish Vashti for saying no, imagine the effect this will have on the kingdom everybody's wife is going to think that they can stand up to their husband. Everybody's wife is going to think that they can say no and, and forbid that that would happen. We don't want that to take place. And so king, you're going to have to deal with Vashti. And so the king removes her from her office, from her position. You don't like your marriage. You don't like what's happening in your marriage. Just, just get rid of it. We don't, we, don't need to, we don't need to remain committed to one person. We don't need to remain committed to one, one particular individual. Marriage is not respected in Esther's day. And you think again about this young Jewish orphan. Esther hasn't even entered the picture at this point in Esther chapter one. But you think about her growing up in a society like this and seeing the way that people are acting all around her and seeing it, it, it cuts to your heart if you're a person who's trying to live for God and you try to respect God's word. And maybe Esther sometimes growing up asked the question, I'm a Jewish orphan living in captivity in a foreign land. Can I make a difference? What, what could I do in a situation like this? Over in Esther chapter three, there's a man named Haman. He's the real bad guy in the book of Esther. Haman gets offended personally. Haman's a high up in the kingdom of Persia. He's not the king, but he's really high up. Haman gets offended by Mordecai, who is a Jew. And Haman comes up with a plan where he's going to make sure that not just Mordecai, but all the Jews are literally exterminated. He makes the king or asks the king to draft a law where all the people in the Persian kingdom can, can put to death whatever Jews they want to on a certain day and they can take their property. And that was going to guarantee that all the Jews would die, including Mordecai. So Haman's getting even. He's getting his, his revenge on Mordecai for not showing him favor. And in the meantime, millions of people are going to die. Human life is cheap in the days of Esther. What can one person do? What can one person, what difference can one person make in a time like this? Esther also lives in a time when there is a constant threat of death. In Esther 4, verse 11, if you'll turn over in your Bibles, we're gonna spend the rest of our time in Esther chapter four this morning. But as you look at what happens in Esther's life, she is finally, because Vashti is removed, she is brought into the court of the king. She is selected to be the next queen of Persia. She pleases the king in all of her ways, Esther does. And so she becomes the queen. And when this plot to destroy all the Jews is uncovered, Mordecai sends word to Esther and he says, you've got to do something. You're the queen. 
You've, you've finally got access to the king of Persia. You're the only one among all of your brethren that does have this access. You've got to do something. And in Esther chapter four, verse 11, and in Esther chapter four, verse 16, it is emphasized the way it worked in Persia, the king would sit on his throne and only people who were invited could come into the throne room. If you did not have a specific invitation from the king, if he did not say to you, I want you to come into my throne room, if he didn't say that and you entered, the immediate sentence was death. You walk into the throne room and the king hasn't invited you, you die. That's it, period. The only exception is if the king in his mercy decides to extend his scepter and if he does that, he'll save your life. But here Esther is living in a place and a time where even going into the room to see her husband, the king, she could lose her life. Those are her times. They're not terribly different from our time. When you stop and think about human nature, when you stop and think about the world, her times are not terribly different from anybody's time, really. But often we look at the world around us and without God and without a sense of what it means to be faithful to God, we can despair, we can become discouraged and we can say, what can one person do? Let's turn our attention to that question then this morning. Let's talk about Esther's faith. What does Esther do? Because it's interesting in Esther chapter four, beginning in verse 13, Esther, is receiving a message from Mordecai. You've got to do something. You've got to take care of this. You've got to try. You've got to go see the king and try to save your people, try to save the people of God. And that's who these people are, by the way, the Jews. They're the ones that are in the covenant relationship with God. And again, God's not mentioned in Esther, but his hand is seen everywhere. He's always working behind the scenes on behalf of his people. Now, look at Esther 4.13 with me and let's read together. Esther 4 verse 13. Mordecai, a man with faith says, do not think Esther in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise from the Jew, for the Jews from another place. See, Mordecai knows that God's gonna protect his people. But then he asks, but you and your father's house will perish, yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And Esther replies in verse 15, and this is one of the most encouraging and faith-building statements in all the Old Testament. In Esther 4.15, Esther says, Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night and day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. And Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther commanded him. And then after three days, you see in chapter five that Esther goes into the king and the king does indeed listen to Esther's request. And she is able to save her people, the Jews. I want you to notice as you think about what Esther does, there are five requirements. You wanna make a difference in this world. You wanna make a difference for God. You wanna be his person in this world. There are five requirements that every New Testament Christian must abide by. If we wanna trust in God, if we wanna depend on him and his providence, these five requirements are essential. And here they are, number one. 
If we would make a difference, we must learn to wait on the Lord. Just because I'm in a hurry does not mean God is. Just because you want to go fast doesn't mean that God does. Isaiah 40 verse 31, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall soar with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. And oftentimes we become very impatient and we become very excitable and we do things and we say things and we act in such a way that we defile the name of God and we violate his will because we're trying to do things our way rather than waiting on the God of heaven and waiting on opportunities from him. But I'll tell you something about waiting on the Lord, brothers and sisters and friends. When you resolve in your mind, I'm going to wait on God, there is strength that is to be found there. That's what Isaiah 41, 40, 31 says. And there is deep perspective that is found there as well. Not everything that God does happens right now. And there are many reasons why that may be the case. Wait on the Lord. Secondly, if we would have a faith like Esther's, an essential aspect of this is we must count on God to open doors. If you're a New Testament Christian and you're striving to live for God and you're striving to make a difference in the world, we need to count on God to open doors. God says, I am with you, Isaiah 41 verse 10. I will never leave you nor forsake you, Hebrews 13 verse five. I am the God who cares for you and I will open doors of opportunity. Oftentimes the opportunities that we see, if we'll open our eyes, are found in the midst of difficulty and challenge. But what's Esther doing? She asks her people to pray for her, to fast for her. She asks people to, to, to ask God if there might be a door of opportunity. Who knows whether you haven't come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I've also noticed in my study of Esther this. Esther seems to be a faithful young lady. She seems to have respect for Mordecai. She seems to have a dignity about her and a, a quality about her that is remarkable but it doesn't appear as if Esther had a lot of preparation for this momentous earth-shattering opportunity that God drops in her lap. It doesn't seem like she was always from a young age being prepared for this one moment where she's gonna have the opportunity to save the people of God by risking her own life. The door just opened and the opportunity was just there. God works that way sometimes. And I bet if you stopped and asked Esther, Esther, are you ready for this? Are you ready for the responsibility of trying to save your people? Esther would say, absolutely not, I'm not ready. That's why we're fasting for three days. But I count on God to open doors in my life. Third, if we would have a faith like Esther's, we gotta trust in the Lord for strength. Trust in the Lord for strength. If you try to serve God out of your own strength, if you try to do good out of your own strength, you're gonna run out of strength really fast. Ephesians 6 verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my strength, God says, is made perfect in your weakness. Oftentimes it's when we are being bruised and persecuted and humbled that God does his mightiest work in us. That's what he was teaching Paul. Paul, I'm not gonna take away your thorn in the flesh because when this is happening in your life, that's when I am best seen. And so it is with Esther as well. When Esther is at risk of her very life, that's when you can see God most in her. We've gotta trust the Lord for strength. 
if we really want to be faithful to him. Number four, you want to make a difference? You want to have a faith like that of Esther? Ask the Lord for courage. Fast and pray, Mordecai. Have all the Jews in Shushan fast and pray for me because I'm going into the king and if I perish, I perish. But pray for me and pray that God will give me courage because I'm going to go in alone and I'm going to stand before the king and this might be the last day I live. Paul said something very similar in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Paul talked about how at his first defense, no one stood with him, but God did. And he talked about how God was going to deliver him from every trial, from every evil. That's faith. I will stand for what's right. I will do what's right, regardless of what anybody around me does, regardless of what they say. And regardless if I'm the only one standing for what's right, I still want to do what's right. Courage. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's the willingness to do what's right in the presence of fear. Those are two different things. To be courageous doesn't mean that you're not afraid. To be courageous means that you're willing to do the right thing no matter what. Finally, you want to have a faith like that of Esther, a faith that pleases God, that makes a difference, that changes the world around you? act in the interest of God's kingdom and purposes. The reason why Esther is a model of faith for us is because Esther was invested in the covenant people. She was invested in the kingdom people. In the Old Testament, the kingdom people, the covenant people are the Jewish people, the descendants of Abraham physically. Those were God's people in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the kingdom people, the covenant people are the New Testament church, the people who belong to Jesus. And by belonging to Jesus, we are also descendants of Abraham, Galatians 3.29. Act in the interest of God's kingdom and purposes. What kinds of decisions do I need to make for the sake of the kingdom of God? Those are questions that Christians ask themselves. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things, like what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat, those things will be added to you, Matthew 6, Esther was able to save her people because she put the kingdom of God and the people of God before her own needs, her own safety, her own security. Where are the people today who have a vision like Esther and Mordecai? Where are the people today who look at the world around us and instead of just wringing their hands and saying, woe is me, who say, who knows whether we have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? We will stand with courage in the, in the face of danger and difficulty and evil, and we will do what's right, and we will speak the truth, and we will say things that are right and eternal and true, regardless, even if, we're not the only, even if we are the only ones doing this. Where are the people who will behave this way? God wants us to look at Esther, and he wants us to see not just the faith of Esther. He wants us to see what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Following Jesus Christ means I must die to myself, I must take up my cross, and I must follow him to his cross. That's exactly what Esther did. That's exactly what Jesus calls you and me to do. For such a time as this, crucified people following Jesus wholeheartedly. If you're not a New Testament Christian this morning, you can put on Christ. 
come to him believing that he is the Messiah, the one that God sent to die for you, confessing his name. Because when you make that public confession, you're saying to everyone, you're saying to God, God, I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. I believe he's the one that can save me from my sin. Repent of your sin. Turn away from the way that you've been living and live for him and then be baptized in water. And the reason why that is necessary is because it is a burial and a resurrection with Christ, Romans 6, 3 through 6. If you're ready to make that decision this morning to become a Christian, or if you need to respond and you'd like to ask for prayers, heaven's invitation is yours while together we stand and while we sing. Heaven, we